You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Today, we're going to be continuing our conversation with Dr. Phil Lovretsky and our chief scientist, Dr. Tom Mormon, uh, on genetics in the mallard complex and a discussion of relatedness among mallards, black ducks uh, in, in North America. And then we're going we're gonna to eventually get into, start to touch on a topic about eastern mallards. And then in episode three, we're really going to dive into detail on that and share with you some really interesting findings that Phil and his, his colleagues have brought, have brought to light here in the past few years. So, uh, Phil and Tom, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I guess what I should do here for those that might have missed the the previous episode is, number one, encourage you to go back and listen to it because there's a great deal of information there that you're going to want to hear in order to, uh, to to make sense of some of what we'll talk about today. But also just to, to point out that uh, Dr. Phil Lovretsky is an assistant professor at the uh, University of Texas, El Paso. And of course, uh, Dr. Tom Mormon is our chief scientist here. So we're not going to do the full introductions. You can go back and listen to their, uh, listen to those in episodes. One, uh, we left off that episode where we had, had talked about ancestry in the mallard complex, basically worldwide. So that through that analysis, Phil, you and your colleagues also began to learn a lot about 
about how those genetic signatures related to some of the, the physical traits. You know, whenever we see a bird, as you were talking about with at the very start, is how uh, we, I think I referred to genetics as our fact check for, you know, what a species really is. But the first thing that we see uh, is the physical appearance known as, you know, the phenotype, as we describe it, or as, the, as it's termed, the phenotypic characteristics. And so talk with us a bit, uh, Phil, about the additional work that you've done in that regard. So with the genetic information, you know exactly kind of what it is, and then you're able to look at those physical characteristics and kind of make some sense out of uh, what those physical characteristics are telling us, or more importantly, what they're not telling us. We, what we may have one time thought they were telling us, but your research is now telling us that maybe they're not very definitive characteristics to, to identify what's going on, though. So share with us some of that information. Phenotype. So, so the thing that you see, the first thing that a, a field crew sees, that a biologist sees, is what the bird looks like on the outside. And for a very long time, that essentially is how we figured out what, what we thought were hybrids and what were not, right? So you look at a population, you say, okay, well, uh, 10% of these things look like they've got a bit of mallard in them, meaning that they've got, you know, curl, the, the black curl, uh, the double curl, green in the head, white wing bars and so forth. And, and then, you know, that, that, that's how we use it to say, Hey, there must be a 10% hybridization rate. But if that was the case, then when I would do the genetics and and like, like in episode one, I said, only really recently do we have the, the type of techniques necessary to really tease apart some of these really closely related species like the mallard and the mallard like ducks. Have we really been able to find true hybrids before? If you can't tell an individual from another individual genetically, you, you clearly can't tell the, the, whether they're a hybrid or not. And thus you can't really inform anything. And so we had to rely on phenotype. And we did this with American black ducks, the, the key back uh, when Kirby made it. Same thing with model ducks. Hey, if it's got a white wing bar, it must be a hybrid. Uh, Mexican ducks, I think Hubert uh, back in 76 basically chalked it up that all Mexican ducks are hybrids because they've got a bunch of mallard in them. And, and just going offshore a little bit, the Hawaiian duck has always been a peculiar case uh, where there's just a ton of mallard in it, and they thought, oh man, we have lost the Hawaiian duck because we don't have any more brown ducks in, in Hawaii. But when we, so I set out, and we have this new kind of way of really assessing what phenotypic characters are really indicative of a, of, of, of a hybrid or not. And that is because we're able to identify individuals do, with their ancestry. We're able to assign a 23andMe or Ancestry.com to every single individual and say, okay, all, all these individuals are pure. All these individuals are hybrids. What do we see in the hybrids that we don't see in the pure individuals? And as a case study, the one that's, that is actually published, uh, my colleagues at UC Davis, along with Fish and Wildlife uh, in Florida, were able to, to use this sort of method uh, um, early on where they were, they, they, at, at that time, when they called an, um, a Florida model duck a hybrid, they were only 60% right. 60% of the time, they were actually correct that that was a hybrid. Otherwise, it was just a regular old Florida model duck. So you can imagine if you're flipping a coin of being right or wrong, that can actually extenuate what you think is really happening, you know, the circumstance of hybridization that's occurring in your population and make you to do potential conservation management practices that may not be necessary. And more importantly is by having genetically vetted individuals, meaning you've got the ancestry, 
by doing that, what, what that study was able to conclude is that that white wing bar that we've been using as a guide for Florida model duck hybrid identification, and as, as well as West Gulf Coast model duck, is actually completely not indicative of a hybrid. And uh, what they were what they were able to find, and again, I, I played a, a pretty a small minor part in this because we were just getting ramped up, so we were kind of vetting their vet <laughs> at the time. But what they were able to find, which was great, was that ten percent of the Florida model duck population still retained that white wing bar. That means that mallard character still has not really left the gene pool. And is uh, of the Florida model duck. They were not just because an individual had a top or a bottom white wing bar uh, did not mean that that individual was a Florida model model duck mallard hybrid. Hopefully you're you're keeping up with me. And and and, uh, what was fascinating was that was the really first kind of light bulb moment in my head going away from the premise like, oh, you know, the theory that, that North America was seeded by a brown duck and then the mallard came and just wiped them out by hybridization, so to speak, or just rampant hybridization might not actually be true. What additional evidence do we have? So we're building the same exact key for Mexican ducks, Hawaiian ducks. And, uh, if anybody ever gave me some money, I'll do it for the black duck. But, um, what we found was that the Mexican duck was, was, a completely unique scenario as well. Although Hubbard back in 77 correctly identified that this trend of mallard-like characters being really high in presence in, in the north part of the Mexican ducks, so let's say the U.S. and Chihuahuan Mexican ducks, decreasing all the, as you go south into Pueblo was correct. He was incorrect in saying that those were due to hybridization. And expanding on that, uh, what we find is that northern populations of pure Mexican ducks tend to show mallard-like characteristics. More importantly, or more specifically, it's juvenile or first-year hatch year, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so those that are in juvenile plumage uh, or formative plumage, sorry, wrong plumage type. Formative plumage, uh, so their first sexy plumage, let's say, uh, uh, show mallard characters that are then lost as adults. And that kind of characteristic was really, really prevalent in birds in the U.S. and Chihuahua. I, I swear, we went, we went, we shot, I mean, we've, you know, scientifically collected over 200 birds in that, in this area. And there were birds that dropped out of the sky that I looked at. And I mean, just like tons of green in the head, speckling in the underbody, you know, full curl, black butt with white specks and all this mallard like characters that I was just like, finally, I'm finding hybrids. And not one of them turned out to be a, hi- a, a true hybrid. They were just Mexican ducks that, that showed mallard characters in one way or another. And, and that is really the, the, the crux is that they, they, th- this really started to, to come into my mind being like, oh man, I think what it is, is that they all still have the ancestry of the mallard and thus the mallard must have been the ancestor. And they just haven't had, there hasn't been enough time in evolution for these traits to really, to really leave. And so what you can imagine is that, uh, for instance, juvenile birds that are less likely to mate their first year, especially in these, in these birds like modeled these, uh, sedentary or non-migratory bird waterfowl that, that may pair bond 
for multiple years or something like that, like uh, uh, model ducks and uh, Mexican ducks and Hawaiian ducks, these kind of more island-like species, they might not breed until the second year. And so the first year, that modelly looking juvenile, so you can imagine like a 13-year-old boy that hasn't figured out his own testosterone, you know, looks modeled. So the females are like, no, I don't want to mate with you. And so, and so as long as he survives into his second year, into his breeding and true breeding cycle, he turns full brown Mexican duck or model duck or whatever. And voila, he's ready to mate properly. What other additional information we have is, is Hawaiian ducks. Hawaiian ducks, a lot of people tr- brought into captivity and tried their darndest to breed out mallard traits. And every time they had a hatch, they had a whole bunch of males that still had mallard-like characteristics. And they, and they axed them. The beauty is we got those samples. And lo and behold, all of those were pure endangered Hawaiian duck that they axed. And again, the same fun story for Hawaiian duck, although, although very distinct from North America, is that the Hawaiian duck has a whole bunch of mallard ancestry due to its own evolutionary history that comes out. And it comes out random because the genes aren't all perfect anymore, right? They're not perfect like they are in a mallard. So certain genes will get turned on or off depending on who mates with who, but they're not being turned on perfectly because they're, they're not under the strong selection of that a mallard is to be that perfect green head looking monster. Okay, Phil, so I need to, I need to back up here a little bit. I want to, I want to get Tom's opinion on this here in a second as well, but Okay, so you talked about the white wing bars. You also talked about the uh, some green in the head among those first year birds. And those previously are just on the surface. We might think those are characteristics of, of hybrids, as you described. One of the other common traits that people point to, uh, I know I've done it in, in some birds that I've that I've shot and then sent off the pictures to various people. One of the one of the aspects um, that I would focus on is the curl, the curl in that tail feather. Of course, you know, uh, adult male mallards can have a real strong curl. Is did you did you find that as was it subject to that same kind of uh, development issue in that um, you can get you can have somewhat of a curl even in uh, in pure Mexican ducks or model ducks? Yes, you you can, but it won't typically be complete. It's going to be like a raised curl feather or a half curl. And, and so, and, and we see this, actually that trait, that raised curl feather, we see in pure black duck, pure model duck, pure Mexican duck, and, and in pure Hawaiian duck. And mostly again, in that juvenile or formative stage. If you see that curl, or some semblance of a curl in a bird that you know is a second year or beyond, does that, or let's just say an adult bird, uh, do you, does that then give you some greater confidence that it might be a hybrid? Yeah, absolutely. So once we see that in a, so we do have several, we do have a few, a few Mexican duck mallard uh, hybrids, same thing with, with model ducks. And in that case, if you've got an adult the second you've got an adult with more than, God, I have to go back and, it, and it's, and it's a bit dependent, but about, about 15%, if you have more than 15% green in the head, curl in the tail and in model duck situation, if you've got white wing bars as an adult, then you've really significantly increased the chances that that's just a hybrid. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Tom, anything to add to this discussion? 
No, I find it pretty fascinating. Um, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, if we didn't know all this and didn't have the, the, the genetic information to confirm this, we might be sitting here looking at, for instance, the Florida model duck population and way overestimating hybridization as a factor in its demise or its decline. Um, so this is really interesting and, and has some really, really important management implications and applied in an applied sense, even though it's, it sounds kind of like basic research. It's got some real applications to, for managers to use as they contemplate things like hunting regulations and population management. If I can get a whole bunch of waterfowl biologists to say exactly that, I'll retire. (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right. I was just going to say it also applies perhaps even more so to the current status of the Mexican duck in the United States because perhaps, and Phil, you can speak to this even better than, than I can. I know the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, does not recognize the Mexican duck as a unique species. And I'm guessing that's partly based on previous assumptions about a lot of those birds in the southwestern U.S. being hybrids, perhaps informed by some of the physical traits that you referenced. Do you know any of that to be true? Yeah, no, that's 100% true. Since Hubbard's work in, in the I. And Tom, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in like 84, 85, that's when the Mexican duck was. So, so the Mexican duck kept bouncing around from full species to subspecies to to hell, splitting out uh, the Southern, Southern Mexican duck as a Mexican duck, the Northern Mexican duck as a, as just a population of hybrids. And then eventually uh, because of Hubbard's work in 77 in the mid eighties or so uh, when AOU uh, American Ornithological Union uh, downgraded the Mexican duck finally to kind of this subspecies level. That's when U.S. Fish and Wildlife tagged up onto that. And it's been like that ever since. And it continues to be the, that uh, because of this idea that, hell, they're just a bunch of high, it's just a big hybrid swarm, which is just simply not the case. And, and getting, getting to that, th- that's actually one of, one of the big studies that I have um, with a, uh, my PhD student, Joshua Brown. He's, he's working on that and finishing that up. And we're hoping to have that out here uh, this, this 2021, hopefully 2020, maybe uh, if he writes fast enough, uh, what we're finding, you know, short, short note about it is that we cannot find a hybrid South of the border. And I'm talking about, I shot birds. uh, I collected birds from Chihuahua all the way to Pueblo, including Sonora and Sinaloa, things that I thought were hybrid. None of them were hybrids. They're just Mexican ducks showing mallard characteristics. And my other student, Flor Hernandez, uh, she is doing the plumage work on that. And lo and behold, every single bird I thought was a hybrid just by looking at it and just assuming like, oh, well, that's a whole hell of a lot of mallard in them turned out to be these formative males, these first year formative males, every single one of them. And so, and so what, what we can do though is say, okay, well, where are the hybrids? Well, the hybrids are, there are hybrids and it's mostly in the U.S. side of the, uh, of their range. How many hybrids? Not that many. So hybridization rate, somewhere between 2 and 5% for Mexican ducks, mostly in areas where you find 
human disturbance. So park areas, if I, we, if we catch Mexican ducks in parks, so it's mostly like mostly parks. And in fact, we actually found a couple, uh, a few hybrids that have park mallard in them. So, so like Rowan duck or whatever the hell was out there. So that seems to be the big crux is when Mexican ducks are breed are found in breeding alongside, let's say domestic mallards or other closely ge- geographically mating or breeding mallards. Now for the model duck, same thing. We thought, Hey, like Tom said, oh, both in Florida and West Gulf Coast, they're they're going down down the hole with with uh, hybridization. Once we revamped and actually can identify hybrids, and I will note that Florida model ducks, West Gulf Coast model ducks, and mallards are equidistantly different. Both West Gulf Coast and Florida are are as different from one another as they are from the mallard. So it's super easy to find hybrids between all three of those, actually. And lo and behold. Our hybridization rate for, for model ducks, whether in Florida or in West Gulf Coast, is about 5% as well. Other studies by Ford et al. Uh, did a much larger study in the West Gulf Coast, also found a 5 to 7% hybridization rate. How do these stack up to, to other birds? Well, they're exactly in line with any other bird complex. It's not over-the-moon hybridization rate. This is appears to be a general trend in most bird complexes that can be found geographically overlapping is that you get a few missed pairings. The fun part about the mallards is all of the domestic mallards that are on the landscape that may be inflating these hybrid rates even further. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Phil, let's transition to black ducks. That, for the longest time, for the majority of my professional career, 
when it comes to these discussions of genetics and hybridizations, black ducks and mallards have been the dominant theme, the dominant question. Now, of course, since I've worked on the Gulf Coast, that changed a little bit. Of course, model ducks became became the highlight of that discussion, and you referenced some of the work that was conducted there on the Gulf Coast. But but kind of writ large, the the black duck mallard hybridization issue dominated the the, the, the literature in North America as it relates to genetics for a long time. And I know you recently you have kind of contributed to to this and made some important discoveries there because the the longstanding thought was that this not only were we seeing hybridization inbreeding of uh, the interbreeding between mallards and, and American black ducks, but we were getting those uh, those F1 hybrids breeding back into into the black duck population, causing what I think was referred to as introgressive hybridization. So anyway, that's you're going to tell us way more about all this, but that was sort of what I was what I I was taught, and I suspect Tom was as well. And we were really concerned about the genetic integrity of the American black duck population in the eastern U.S. and thought mallards were going to be the demise of it, as you kind of alluded to in your the, in maybe in episode one. So. Recently, you and your students launched into a pretty thorough investigation of this of this issue using some of the new techniques. So lead us down that path. Tell us what you set out to do. Tell us what you found with respect to that hybridization between mallards and black ducks. Yeah, absolutely. And I will note that uh, John Eady also taught me the same thing, that black ducks were genetically extinct. But it, but that was only about 10 minutes of the entire uh, lecture. Everything else was wood ducks. So, uh, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was staying with his strength. Only a few people might, might laugh at that one. Anyways. <laughs> no, yeah, I was under the same thing. I came into the, I came into my PhD being like, oh, well, they're, dem- they're dead <laughs> due to what you, what you correctly coined as introgressive hybridization, meaning that the amount of gene flow, meaning hybrids are, hybridization is rampant, making a whole bunch of these F1 hybrids, first generation hybrids. And those first generation hybrids can basically breed rampantly with black ducks in this case and moving tons of mallard material into black duck and thus a pure black duck as we consider it a black duck does not exist so it's extinction via introgressive hybridization this was the the thought that was that was perpetuating um uh black ducks for the last i don't know since the 60s right since their population declined so yeah so you're right so i came into this i started uh so uh, it, hopefully, uh, the the listeners know what a waterfowl wing bee is. I was just going to make a connection there for the listeners. You, you, they should in fact have heard about the wing bees. They are they're what we referred to as the parts collection survey or the wing survey. And we actually have had Dr. Kathy Fleming and Dr. Paul Padding on previous episodes to talk about that as part of the harvest est- estimation process. Uh, more recently. We've and I don't know if that episode will be out by the time this one is, but we had Larry Reynolds and Brad Bortner on to talk about the Harvest Information Program, and in that one, uh, some some recent um, in- improvements in certain states to to HIP certification. And so, in that episode, we also referenced the uh, the wing surveys that you're talking about here. So I just wanted to kind of interrupt you there and to reemphasize the connection between the data that you're talking about here. Um, and in what we have previously discussed, and in those previous episodes, we emphasize the importance of hunters' role in those surveys. And and in those conversations, we have emphasized the hunters' role in, in those surveys because it provides information 
to inform our estimates of harvest as well as uh, annual recruitment estimates, the number, the ratio of adults to juveniles. The hunters play an incredibly vital role in providing that information. But I wanted to, uh, to also emphasize here that the efforts of the hunters also feed the research that you're doing because you made use, what you're going to tell us is you made use of those wings. And so without the hunters and without their important role and active participation in those surveys, you would not be able to do the survey, do the research that you're going to tell us about. So uh, thank you to the hunters uh, on behalf of, of all of us here for their participation in enabling in, in a very important way this research you're going to tell us about. I can't, I couldn't have said that better. All right. So everybody knows what I'm talking about. And I want to thank all the hunters out there. Uh, being a hunter, it, it's, it's really awesome and key, key to what I was actually be, uh, able to do. I mean, there are a few systems that I, that folks can go to one place and get hundreds of samples across, across regions like all of North America in this case. And that's exactly what I did. So I used this resource to go in. I got a whole bunch of wings that uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife called mallards, black ducks, and hybrids for both the Atlantic and Mississippi flyway. And on top of it, I got some uh, central flyway birds and Pacific flyway birds as kind of a reference Western mallard population, so to speak. But because the story, my story was really all about black ducks and mallards, and I wanted to know what was happening. And now I've got these tools, these genetic techniques, and I applied it to, oh gosh, uh, what was it? 230 bird data set at that time that, that again, had a whole bunch of uh, mallards and black ducks and potential hybrids from the Atlantic and Mississippi flyway. And so getting to the point here, what we were able to find is that A, we can very well distinguish between what is a pure mallard and a pure uh, Mexican duck. Uh, sorry, black duck. <laughs> it's talking about too many ducks. What is a pure black duck in this case? And by doing that, we were able to actually assess how accurate U.S. Fish and Wildlife was calling these birds based on uh, wings, based on the plumage of the wings, getting back to that idea. But first, what, what we found was that, are there hybrids? Absolutely. Where are the most hybrids? In the Atlantic Flyway, as we expect, because that's where the largest proportion of black ducks and mallards are. Where are the hybrids, majority of those that uh, are back crosses, meaning hybrids that have bred back into a population, who, which population do they mostly breed to? Well, that was actually mallards. They typically, when we found back crosses, so these F1s, these first generation model, model-y looking black duck mallard, you know, cut and paste birds, when they did get to actually breed, they bred with mallards. Um, that means that genetic information of mallard was moving into black or black duck was moving into mallard, but mallard information was not so much moving into black duck at the time. That means there must be stronger assortative mating, meaning black for in black ducks, meaning black ducks are somehow seeing and picking more correctly than a mallard. Why is that important? That's important because a, the black duck is not genetically extinct. There are actually plenty of, of pure, genetically pure black ducks out there. And B, uh, as long as, as there's the habitat, it appears, that separates them and that obviously evident ability to identify their own kind, black ducks will persist. Now, obviously, you get rid of habitat and you increase the mallard population, that might go away. But 
that is the case of what we found. And that was in that also in a 2019 study, a separate study from one that I previously talked about. The other thing that we found is that of all the hybrids that fish and wildlife uh, identified as hybrids based on just wing plumage, they were just like Florida fish and wildlife, 60% correct at the time. The other 40% and more specifically about uh, what was it? It was like, 21 and 19 should it, so about 20 and 20% should have actually been pure black duck and pure mallard. So still at the wing bee, they're still flipping the coin of, uh, what is a hybrid, uh, a black duck and mallard. And that gets to that again, the characteristics that we're using are clearly not indicative of a hybrid. Same thing goes to things that they called mallards and black ducks. They were a lot better at it. It was over a bit over 80% correct assigning uh, a mallard uh, as a wing, and it was a pure mallard, and the same thing for a black duck. But about 20% of those actually were hybrids. So again, there's this discrepancy in you know the, the, the traits that we're using to identify hybrids in black ducks and mallards, as, as, as I talked about and mentioned for Florida model ducks and Mexican ducks, uh, and the truth that we're finding based on the genetics. And again, the genetics is the genetics, and you, you can't really run away from that. So that was that study. And that's what we found. But to really get at the question of like, okay, well, there are these, what we consider pure black ducks, but are these pure black ducks the same thing as before mallards even came to the East Coast? So that was the story between mallards and black ducks. Again, something very revealing, something very different than what I and what we all learned was the probable situation. But the second part of that story that we learned in that 2019 paper in Ecology and Evolution was, was that there was something really odd happening in, in mallards, and specifically in eastern mallards. So when we looked at, like I said earlier, we got mallards uh, uh, west of the Mississippi. We called them our western birds. So everything from the prairie potholes all the way to, the, to Alaska. So we had a few birds everywhere in California included. And then we had Mississippi birds, Mississippi flyway birds, and then Atlantic flyway birds. And when we, when we went from west to east, we started to find this second mallard structure. So, so consider your own 23andMe. If you were simply from Moscow like I am, you would just be a single color in your 23andMe ancestry. If you're from North America, you're probably a mix of a whole bunch of different ancestries. And thus you would have little pieces of DNA from all those different ancestries. And that's what we were picking up in mallards from the Atlantic flyway. We were picking up an ancestry for a population that we did not have at that moment, but that our analyses kept saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are two populations here uh, in these individuals. There's two distinct lineages within these individuals. And that means that they're hybrids of some sort. At the time, we could only really say, okay, well, we've got Western mallards. And then we've got these mallards that are a mix of Western mallard and non-Western mallard. So that was sort of an aha moment for you then, I'm guessing. Absolutely. And a moment that I was not actually looking for, right? So this entire study was about black ducks and mallards. Didn't expect as previous work had had found, mallard, all mallards across Eurasia and North America were genetic or wild mallards were genetically the same. And so I was under that guise and assumed that all the mallards in North America were the same as well. Well, we're going to tease that. Um, that'll be our tease for episode three. We're going to get into a, a full discussion about 
actually what you discovered as you looked into it a bit more and a bit more detail on what that other signature was. I want to back up for just a minute and, and kind of summarize, try to summarize where we were with the black duck mallard hybridization. And uh, I, I think basically what you're saying, Phil, is that based on your analysis, our worry about mallards um, genetically swamping the American black duck gene pool was kind of overblown. We didn't fully understand the genetic processes that were occurring. Those hybrids are most likely to actually breed back with the mallards as opposed to the black duck. So, um, so maybe we don't, uh, so, so we're not seeing that introgressive hybridiz- hybridization uh, as much. So with respect to model ducks, that is, that's also been one of the same concerns, you know, with respect to the genetic integrity of that, of that species. Do we think that, or do we know that that same process is occurring there where that the hybrid model ducks, mallard model ducks are preferring to, to breed with the mallards or do we know that yet? The only thing I can really say based on my data is that there, I can't, I can only find, well, hell, I only have real, really one hybrid in my data set with a, between a Florida and a Florida model duck and a, and a, and a mallard. And it's not an extensive data set. Like I do have for black ducks now or Mexican ducks. So we would have to do a lot more, but my, my colleagues that have done a bit of work there uh, appear to have, when they were doing that key, like I talked about before, that plumage key that was genetically vetted, they had a whole bunch of birds. And where they found the majority of hybrids to be would be close to parks like Disneyland uh, or, um, you know, human dominated areas. If there was a model duck there, typically would find it to be a hybrid. Now, the question really is, is then are they hybridizing because, you know, they're, they're picking wrong or are they hybridizing because, you know, they, they didn't mate correctly or there was a male model duck that didn't get to mate, so he went to this park and the only things that are there, you know, daffy ducks, so why not? I don't know. And I don't know what those hybrids do. My guess is those hybrids just kind of stay on those ponds, but we would definitely need a whole bunch more data or samples to, to answer that question. But what I can say is that rates of hybridization are are generally way lower than we ever expected. A couple of things to follow up on there, Phil. First, I guess I would just correct you. I think you referenced Disneyland when talking about Florida. It's it's correctly Disney, oh, Disney, Disney World. World yeah. Disneyland is in California. I mean, that's <laughs> usually, we got to make sure we get that straight for all of our Disney enthusiasts. I should have just said Disney. That's right. <laughs> the other is, from my time on the Gulf Coast, I was kind of following the model duck uh, mallard genetic story. And one of the things that began to emerge, and perhaps you, you were even involved in it, but it was the idea that even among those hybrids, if a hybrid breeds with a model duck, and then the F, which I guess the, the offspring of that would be an F2, if that F2 offspring then bred back with a model duck, then the offspring of that breeding would be... Uh, it would be reverting kind of back to a model duck signature. Is that right? I mean, that, I think that's what I was hearing is that as long as they, those hybrids are breeding back in with, with model ducks, with one of the parent lineages, it's going to eventually revert back to that parent lineage. Is that right? That is absolutely. So we propose that exact scenario for black ducks. What we find, because we had enough data sets, we have enough, we have enough uh, samples. So I didn't want to get into this because this gets real genetic-y. <laughs> we'll keep it brief. <laughs> but, but okay. So, so now that you brought it up, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with it. So, okay. So what do we, what do we know about these things on the genome level? On the G, and I have to start here and you'll see why I'm starting here. At the genome level, 
these things are almost identical everywhere except these very specific key genes that essentially explain, hey, this region has these specific genes that are specific to, let's say, Florida model duck. Mexican ducks have their own key genes on chromosome 14 and 2. Mallards have very specific regions, highly selected on, as you can imagine, with that beautiful green head. Uh, And same thing with black ducks. But the rest of the genome is identical. And what does that mean? That means as long as that uh, we hypothesized this and we actually were able to test it with black duck data because we had enough of like intermediate hybrids and F2, F3, F4, and so forth. Well, you'll, you'll find out that there is no so forth. But what we found out is that by the third or fourth generation of backcrossing, as long as that hybrid lineage kept backcrossing to a single lineage, single population, whether it's into mallard or into black duck or into model duck or whatever it is, by, what is that, your great, 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 great kids basic have, have essentially lost the ancestry of your hybridization event. And they have reverted genetically, at least to the pure parental now. And, and this is actually something that we're, we're studying further because this is an important, potentially important evolutionary like trait to that for, especially a, a group of birds that, you know, like to hybridize a lot that to minimize the effects of hybridization, as long as there's a pure parental population to backcross into, that population can absorb, you can kind of think about as absorbing the effects of that hybridization event by kind of getting rid of, of those mallard specific characteristics or model duck specific characteristics or whatever it is, and reestablishing the, the traits that are specific for that species. Does that make sense? It it makes sense. I'm going to have to think about that whenever I lay down tonight. This is a testing. We are testing that hypothesis. And of course, if I can get a few birds in captivity that I hope to do here soon, I can, we can test that because we can just keep reading them. But in theory, what it, what all of our data, and and we've done that, we've done this now with uh, different sea duck lineages uh, with we've done this with SCOP, and it, it appears that instead of this really prolonged g- many generations of of the this hybrid signature perpetuating through generations, it is essentially cut off in three or four generations, and effectively the F four F five stage is pure parental. It does not naturally exist if that if that can be. Am I right in thinking that? That means it's more difficult for this introgressive hybridization event to to have to occur and have detrimental effects. It can only have detrimental effects if you lose the pure parental population, and we learned this unfortunately with Hawaiian ducks and potentially mallards in the eastern coast, which we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But the second you lose that pure parental population or this a sizable one that can sustain, kind of like I said, absorb those effects. Then you're going down the rabbit hole of, uh, of, of, of potential extinction due to introgressive hybridization. It could still very much happen, as lo- but as long as you've got a pure parental population to absorb it, you can buffer those effects for sure. And especially if it's, the rates are relatively low, like we're saying 2 to 5% or 7%. Uh, now, now, black ducks are a different story. It's almost 25%. But that again, we had talked about that it, there's a p- appearance that black ducks also have this potential assorted of mating where they're picking those black ducks that are around that are pure tend to pick 
or identify pure black, other pure black duck mates rather than hybrids. Fascinating. Fascinating. Tom, anything to add? I think it's interesting, again, that here's a relatively new method in genetics and the science of genetics that's informing some questions, for instance, about the black duck that has maybe a handful, five or six different hypotheses about why the population declined. One of the leading ones was for years, intergressive hybridization. And so now compliments of Phil and his team, we learned that, well, maybe we can lower the flame on that one and start looking at some of these other hypotheses as to what caused that decline. And of course, those range from changes in habitat, breeding habitat, limitations on wintering habitat, overharvest, all kinds of, of hypotheses that scientists and managers have been drinking beers and arguing about in bars late at night for a long time. But I do think that ultimately, and I think Phil said it best maybe in an earlier episode, is like genetics is truth serum, man. It's the stuff that sort of underscores this, and it, and it can't really be easily misinterpreted. Fair enough, Phil. That summed it up. Now, I will just say you cut down that boreal forest and uh, you let a bunch of mallards in, you'll have a hybrid swarm. But as long as that habitat, it appears that what's left of the black ducks uh, after after uh, you know the decline and potentially why they're they're they've stabilized is good black ducks are there. They've got their habitat. They're probably maximizing that carrying capacity. Uh, they're picking right, uh, and mallards tend to not want to breed in that area. And that's that's a big important aspect of why we've got black ducks right now. So that'll be the, that'll be the next big debate is, is what, what is the role of the boreal forest in keeping those mallards uh, out of the East? <laughs> we've already heard some of those debates. <laughs> we've already heard some of those debates from some of our colleagues. Not complete agreement on that. One. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but Tom, you make a great point uh, in that we've talked about management implications from you know, uh, species identification, species delineation, uh, and then w- what we recognize as individual species and then the management that we put into place for those. Uh, but then also from a conservation standpoint, management of that population standpoint with respect to the black duck in this case, yeah, if genetics aren't that high on the list anymore, then, then now it affords us the opportunity to turn our attention and, and turn our resources to some of the other issues that may, uh, um, that, that may be uh, have a stronger influence in, in what's going on with those populations. So uh, important point to emphasize there is it does have some implications and bring it back to to conservation efforts of Ducks Unlimited and all of our other partners. Um, so I think we have enough for episode two on this one. And episode three, we are going to get into this discussion of Eastern Mallards. What, Phil, what you and your, your colleagues found with respect to that second signature and what you discovered uh, and then all the things that come along with that and then how it's helping us maybe understand some of what's happening with regard to population trends for mallards in the east. So thank you, Phil. Thank you, Tom, for joining us on this episode again. And stick around. We're going to do episode three. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. A very special thanks again to our guests on this episode, Dr. Phil Lavretsky and Dr. Tom Mormon. We appreciate their time and expertise on this on this topic. We extend a special thanks to our producer, Clay Baird, the Digital Warrior, for the great work that he does in making this show run, for doing all the editing and getting these shows out to you. And then, of course, to you, the listeners, we thank you for your time and spending with us. And in closing, we also, and most importantly, thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Hey, hey. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.